Welcome to this special treasure edition of Panel Breakouts, the podcast that takes a quick peek at the origins of the Marvel Comics universe. I'm Gary Hollingsby, and in this episode I'm taking a break from old, timely and Atlas Comics to talk about a TV program that's just come out, which presents the early history of Marvel and the relationship between Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. Professionally made documentaries about comic creators and the industry are rare and always welcome. Robert Kirkman, creator of comics like Invincible, Outcast and Walking Dead, has given his name to Skybound Entertainment's Secret History of Comics, a documentary series of six 50-minute episodes that began showing on AMC in November in the US and will be aired in the UK in January. The series drops in on what it considers are generally unknown aspects of comics history, such as Siegel and Schuster's creation of Superman, William Moulton Marston's Wonder Woman origin, and Marstone Comics Company in the 1990s. The series uses artwork and archive material and mixes it with brief comments from creators, comic historians, and, for some reason, actors who have played roles in comic book-related movies. The first episode, called The Mighty Misfits Who Made Marvel, will be of real interest for Marvel Comics fans. It gives a broad, what I suggest is a on-message, dominant, prevalent version of the history of early Marvel, which gives an account of the background to Jack Kirby's and Stan Lee's creative partnership, with a little mention in passing of Steve Ditko in the background. The episode opens by focusing on Stan Lee. For 20 years, understands editorship. The company was pretty much devoted to like chasing whatever fad was out there. You know, they did westerns, they did horror, they did romance. Stan wanted to write things other than comics. Everybody who wrote comics wanted to write things other than comics. They were disposable items. They were not meant to be reprinted. It was an industry where you do, no matter how good you were, you couldn't get that famous, you couldn't get that rich. And Stan was just staying in it because that was the job he had and he had a relation to the owner of the company. And it's tough to say, I'm going to turn that aside now. Because he was working so many hours, he couldn't take the time away from comics to write a novel. He was kind of trapped in a certain way. We see him talking about joining a company, which he says was owned by a cousin of his, um, who's an unnamed Martin Goodman, and meeting Simon and Kirby, working in effectively a broom cupboard. Throughout the episode, we're presented with a contrast um, between Lee, who wanted to go on and write a great American novel, and Kirby, who loved comics and wanted only to create them. We see Kirby's and Simon's departure from Timely, which is skimmed over very quickly, and Lee being left to become editor, which he says only happened because there was no one else to take, take on the reins even though, as we know, Martin Goodman was his was um, his cousin. We see how the company, Timelier Than Atlas, chased fads in comics, and we also get some background to the comics industry. The programme moves very quickly on to showing that Lee was overworked as editor and writer, that he was frustrated, and by the end of the 1950s, the beginning of the 1960s, he was at a point of a midlife crisis. We also see Kirby as having fallen on hard times, though this is only given the briefest of details. And we see that it's just mentioned that DC didn't really like Kirby's Kirby's style. And then we, us- we get the usual Stan Lee version of events, how he was frustrated, 
how Goodman approached him by saying he wanted a version of the Justice League, a Goodman Company version of the Justice League, and how Stanley was ready to quit, but his wife convinced him, you know, why don't you write a, um, a comic in the style that you want, Stan? And we get that version of, of history. We're then shown Kirby returning to Marvel and collaborating on Fantastic Four number one, which isn't what really happened. Kirby was working with Lee certainly two, three years before Lee was about to produce Fantastic Four. There's mention in the documentary of other aspects. We see mention of the anti-comics backlash, burning of comics. We see the rivalry with DC and their control over Marvel's distribution. There's mention of how comics were written. Lee exaggerates that the audience for comics at the time were seven-year-olds, which, again, isn't strictly true. And then he also talks about how and why they changed their name to Marvel, which was supposedly because he could get more out of the name Marvel than he could with the name Atlas. It was really good to hear Roy Thomas, um, former editor and writer at Marvel, describing how, as a boy, he found Fantastic Four number one in the newsstands and really seeing how different the comic was from everything else that was on sale. The documentary discusses Kirby's art and it's described as being up close, it's dramatic, um, it's exaggerated. And throughout the programme, you get Lee complimenting Kirby's art and saying how fantastic it was. Although at one point he calls it emotional, powerfully emotional, rather than anatomically correct. Lee talks about how he gave Spider-Man to Steve Ditko because he says that Kirby drew characters as being too handsome and heroic. And there's a, a small segment about Ditko where Roy Thomas particularly points out and, and lords Ditko's approach to Spider-Man and his artistic skill. Steve Ditko, he wasn't interested in the... Uh, the violent action so much. He emphasized the human aspects of things. That's why he was so good at people's expressions and their attitudes. The documentary plays up the antagonism with DC and it was really good to see Jim Shooter. You don't really see very much in, in, in comics history. And Shooter talks about being at DC when they looked at the early Marvel comics and the DC staff just couldn't understand why or how these early Marvel comics um, could be successful. Lee goes on to explain the methods that they used to win early Marvel readers, um, how they personalised their address to the readers, connected with them. One of the things they did was they printed the addresses of readers so that the readers could get in touch with each other, form fan clubs. We're shown the Mighty Marvel Marching Society. And then there's some shots of the later 60s and the popularity of Marvel comics with students linking it with the rise of rock and roll and 60s hippie movement, and also mentions the civil rights and the X-Men. And Lee talks about how he was always opposed to bigotry. The documentary goes to great lengths to show how Lee invented himself as a, as a larger-than-life character by the end of the 60s. And then this is neatly linked with Kirby's dissatisfaction. It talks about the Marvel method and one telling interview it, it, it presents is where Lee admits that sometimes he didn't even recognize the stories that were handed in by the artists. As Stan became more and more busy with bullpen bulletin and also Stan's soapbox, his time was really stretched out and so a new method of how he would write and create comics was born. 
The Marvel method was a, a new way of doing comics that they developed, which essentially transferred a lot of work that was traditionally the writers to the artist. So I'd say, I'll tell you what the plot is. You just go home and draw anything, and I'll put the dialogue and the captions on your artwork. In that way, I was able to keep a lot of artists busy at once. They would draw anything. I never knew what to expect. Sometimes I didn't even recognize the story. It was different than what I had told them. The Galactus trilogy is used as an example of establishing the difficult relationship between Kirby and Lee and deciding on you know, who had... The, the, you know who who did what in the in the relationship, and in the Galactus trilogy, Lee and other comics historians talk about how the character of the Silver Surfer is presented. The surfer is introduced into the story without any input by Lee. Kirby says that he wanted Galactus to have this godlike figure to have a herald that approached planets before Galactus came and consumed them. It's something that Lee hadn't thought of. And he presents this to Lee without without any input from Lee beforehand. And Lee then says that we'll call him the Silver Surfer and then describes it as being a joint creation with Kirby. Although, in effect, all that Lee had done is given him a name. There's also mention of the, the article in the New York Herald Tribune, which played up Stan Lee's role in the company, mocked Kirby and didn't even mention Ditko. And the documentary describes this as being a flashpoint in the relationship between the artists and Lee. Mark Vanier um, descri- clearly describes having that having Stan Lee credited first as the writer in, in the books overshadowed the work of the artists who were for all intents and purposes creating the stories as, as well as drawing them. And then Ditko is briefly mentioned as leaving the company. The documentary then goes on to talk about um, or, or show Kirby's exit from Marvel. The documentary takes a look at how the company treated artists as work for hire and very binding legal documents, which they weren't allowed to get checked out by lawyers. They had no ownership over their creations or any expectation of a reward from any profits that were being made. And then Lee, as editor, is shown as being promoted for his work, while Kirby doesn't get a pay rise. And Roy Thomas says that it was unfortunate that Kirby identified Lee with Marvel, the publishers, when really the the, the issue was that it was the company, the corporate owners of the company, who really valued Lee far more than Kirby and the other artists. There's a, a, a sequence in the um, in the documentary where Lee is directly asked why Kirby left. Why did Kirby leave Marvel? I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't know. I was not, I don't believe I was there at the time. I think I was in Europe or somewhere and I had heard he had left and nobody ever gave me an actual reason that I could live with. It was the same thing with Steve Ditko when he left one day. To the to this day, I don't know why he left. Things happen. And from, from my point of view, it's difficult to know how true this actually is and I, I, or, or was. And I find it really hard to understand how the editor of the comics company wouldn't know or even try to find out firsthand why his best artist left. And the, the, there's a, a, a short segment 
afterwards in which um, Roy Thomas mentions that when he first started at Marvel, Ditko and Lee were not on speaking terms. So there were probably much deep, deeper antagonisms there and things that, that Lee really doesn't want to um, to talk about. The, the documentary goes on to look at, very briefly, Kirby's solo comics for DC, singles out the new gods, and it picks on them, which I and, and I think it unfairly picks on them. They mention that Kirby had no talent for writing comics, which I don't think goes on to explain why the, the, the fourth world underlies the whole of the DC superhero universe and how the biggest, baddest villain of the DCU, Darkseid, is a Kirby creation. But it fits the narrative of having Kirby as artist and Lee as, art, as, as writer, and it, 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 create, it keeps to that that neat narrative history. There's a short section, which is really great, in which the radio phone-in show celebrating Kirby's birthday is is animated. And we see Lee phone in, Kirby and Lee argue, and end up complimenting each other. Every word of dialogue in those scripts was mine. (laughs) I I can tell you that I wrote a few lines myself above every... Yes, I've seen those. They weren't printed in the book. All right, look, both of you, hey, kids. I really think, and look, Jack, nobody has more respect for you than I do, and you know that. But I don't think you ever felt that the dialogue was that important. And I think you felt, well, it doesn't matter. Anybody can put the dialogue in. It's what I'm drawing that matters. And maybe you're right. I don't agree with it, but maybe you're right. You know, Jack, you were talking earlier about... Your drawing and people sometimes criticized your figures. I always felt that the most important thing about your drawings, I remember when I was a kid and I first saw Captain America, it wasn't the correctness of the anatomy, but it was the emotion that you put in. Nobody could convey emotion and drama the way you could, and nobody could ever draw a hero like you could. And I think that's something you can be very proud of, and uh, and I'm proud of you for it. I have to thank you for uh, helping me to keep that style, Stanley. And uh, whatever we did together, we uh, we got sales from Marvel. And I I think it was more than that, Jack. We certainly got the sales, but whatever we did together, and no matter who did what, and I guess that's something that'll be argued forever. But I think there was some slight magic that came into effect when we worked together and uh, I am very happy that we've had that experience. Well, uh, I was never sorry for it, Stanley. Uh, It was a great experience for me. Afterwards, comics historian Sean Howe wryly points out that it was like eavesdropping on a divorced couple. Former Marvel editor-in-chief Jim Shooter recounts a later meeting in the 1980s between Kirby and Lee which again he describes as being cordial and friendly. And Shooter's take is sort of characteristic of the point of view expressed in the episode, which is the same in the, what you could call the official, in quotation marks, history, in which Kirby and Lee fell out, Kirby came back for a bit, fell out. But then by the end of Kirby's life, they were both cordial and friendly and even talking about perhaps even collaborating once more. It's, again, creating that idea of a neat narrative that that works for everyone involved, particularly Marvel Comics Company. 
Shooter's take is is quite characteristic. He says that, and this is a quote from what he says, he says, it's very clear that Stan more than pulled his weight. He was the glue that held it all together. He was conducting the orchestra. And then we have Danny Fingeroth, who was group editor for Spider-Man Comics at Marvel in the 1980s, pops up in the episode after that and argues that Lee created the whole thing. There was no Marvel Comics without Lee. And then he does, as a, as a clause in what he says, says um, that he acknowledges that this couldn't have been done without the other artists. And we see Kevin Smith, the, the, the movie director, who describes Lee and Kirby as the Lennon and McCartney of comics. Documentary has some great visually enhanced pages shown from the first issues of comics like Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Avengers X-Men, Hulk, where details from the panels are sort of raised and given a parallax Ken Burns style motion, um, which works really well. And also in, in the credits at the end of the documentary, we're given the sources of the comics and articles referred to, which is a really neat touch. While I like the episodes, especially the, the brief snippets of talking head commentaries from people like Jim Shooter, Roy Thomas, Sean Howe, Steve Englehart. And I also like the archive footage of um, Stanley speaking to students and the, the 60s style clunky animations, which showed key scenes in Marvel history. I actually felt it was the, the whole document was a bit too thinly stretched out. You, know, you could spend a whole episode on Kirby, you could spend a whole episode on Lee and Lee's history. And Lee's history goes on before that decade in the 1960s at Marvel. He, he plays a role right up and, until today in, in many, many different aspects. The same as, as Kirby. You could have a whole episode about Ditko. You could have a whole episode about the, the team working in Marvel and, and the types of comics, the range of comics beyond superheroes that Marvel were creating in the 60s and 70s. Um, there's, there's a real wealth of history that you, know, you could have, the series could have explored. And I think it was, I wouldn't describe it as superficial, but I'd say that it was limited and quite thin in places. What you get in the, in the documentary is the generally accepted version of the history, which is by and large, Stan Lee's sort of sanitized version. And that occupies the, the, the narrative of, of the documentary. It reduces the Marvel origin to a trinity of Lee Kirby and the lesser Ditko. And it sticks to the mantra that Fantastic Four number one and the first wave of superhero comics were completely new and unlike anything that had gone before which glosses over the importance of the 20 years of Timely Atlas comics beforehand, and not to mention the whole culture of the comics industry. Um, there were some really stunning things going on in some sections of the industry um, before the comics code in the 50s. It also downplays the role that the creators had, that other creators had in the Marvel comics. For instance, Iron Man, drawn by Don Heck and Steve Ditko initially. It's a key, key comic in those early Marvel comics. Uh, universe. Um, there's all the inkers and the colorists too who played tremendous roles. And anyone who, who has more than a passing knowledge of, uh, of of Marvel knows that there's 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 a whole cast of other people. You know, someone like Flo Steinberg. These people who populated the Marvel bullpen. You know, even talking about the Marvel bullpen itself could be a whole episode of a documentary. Perhaps one day Disney will throw some cash at a 
big budget documentary series about the history of Marvel, which which does spend time looking closely at all the creators, um, the background, the cultural context of, of the company. I've been saying for, for years that a, a Mad Men type series about Marvel in the 1950s and 60s would also be amazing. One day, true believers, one day. The documentary gets a thumbs up from me um, with the caveat that you really should read Sean Howe's Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, and more controversially, Stan Lee and The Rise and Fall of the American Comic Book by Jordan Raphael and Tom Sturgeon. Um, Both these books poke much deeper into the history and give alternative, quite polemicised views and present Lee and Kirby in in a very different dynamic than they do in this documentary. Thanks for listening. Until next time. This was Panel Breakouts, Treasury Edition. A mini-podcast about comics that lay the foundations for the Marvel Comics superhero universe. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.